Jesse. Yes. We want to officially invite you to join this podcast. But I do have to tell you, the last person to join our podcast went crazy and murdered his whole family with an axe. But the job is yours if you want it. Here's Johnny. Mark, what are we watching? Movie Tales. I'll have what she's having. Hosted by Mark, Jeff, and Nick. Round up the usual suspects. Three lifelong friends who all dropped out of film school because they all figured out they loved watching movies more than making them. Are you not entertained? Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. These cinephiles review and reveal widely unknown factoids, lore, myths, trivia, and cultural impact of the movie. Mostly funny. I'm your huckleberry. Sometimes serious. I'm going to make them an awfully gown with you. Definitely interesting insight into the best movies we only thought we knew. He's looking at you, kid. Well, that was a... Hopefully people caught that easy reference, because um, that's not true. <laughs> but we're watching The Shining from 1980. And for those that need a recap, uh, Jack Torrance becomes a winter caretaker at the isolated Overlook Hotel in Colorado, hoping to cure his writer's block. He settles in along with his wife, Wendy, and his son, Danny, who is plagued by psychic premonitions. As Jack's writing goes nowhere and Danny's visions become more disturbing, Jack discovers the hotel's dark secrets and begins to unravel into a homicidal maniac hell-bent on terrorizing his family. The Stanley Kubrick, Stephen King classic, The Shining. I know we're all excited. Jesse's super excited to be here. We don't have Nick. We've upgraded to Jesse this week for the horror genre because Nick was not a fan of this genre. Boo. And but, to, your point, to your point, Mark, Nick did not go crazy and murder his whole family. <laughs> no, he exactly. just He just doesn't like horror movies. Yes, um, this is correct. And he's so. in Argentina having a good time. So good for Nick. And good for uh, me, good for Jesse, exactly. Uh, Jesse helped choose this movie, so I know he's really excited this week. But uh, what about you, Jeff? Are you excited? Oh, this movie's an all time classic. When did you see this movie? Oh, well, yeah, so well, I'd probably better first talk about when I when this story first came to me. Um, I actually saw the miniseries before I saw the movie. Okay. Um, we were that came we out were, in the 90s, didn't it? Yeah, we were like in like, I want to say third, fourth, or fifth grade. Um, it came out the year after The Shining. Not The Shining, the year after The Stand. And I remember loving The Stand. So I was like, oh, what's this Shining? And I actually remember watching it and my dad like hating it because he liked the movie so much. Um, but he wouldn't let me see the movie because it was rated R. But apparently the miniseries is okay because it's on TV. I don't know. I, I don't understand the rules. Um... But it wasn't until year I loved it, the miniseries, and then I actually read the book, and then it wasn't until years later that I uh, saw the Stanley Kubrick movie. I can't remember when. I caught it on, you guessed it, TNT, TBS, like so many of these classic movies. When, w w like years later, like high school? 
Um, yeah, it was like... Because I can't remember when I saw this. Do you, do, do you know if we ma- saw this in the horror genre class? We did not. Okay. We right. did not. Right. I did see it, like, senior year, I want to say, in high school, like, just on TV. Um, I'm not sure if the first time I saw it, I saw it all the way through. Um, it's a movie I've watched several times. I fucking loved it. Um, I like, actually, all ver- versions of this film, um, of this story, but I, that this is my favorite one. Of the three, the novel, the miniseries, and the movie. This one's my favorite. Um, and it just, it's Jack being Jack. Um, and it's classic Kubrick. And my dad, who does not like the horror genre, I always found it interesting that he liked this movie. Um, he is not necessarily the typical person to watch artistic films and like super like Oscar-y or artsy films. But he's always loved Stanley Kubrick, um, whether it be Doctor Strangelove or Clockwork Orange or Space Odyssey. Um, and I, that's always stood with me, that um, this super artistic director somehow spoke to my dad. I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and that's my moment in time. What about you, Mark? When did this one come to you? So, I, I don't know. I saw this movie in college sometime. I don't even remember when. And to the point where I, I don't think it did much for me the first time I saw it, which means I probably was, it was probably late at night and I didn't give it a fair shot. But as I've aged along with this movie, it's grown much more uh, for me and I'm much more fonder of it as the years have gone on. It's, it's very, very good. And this was fun for me because... It forced me to watch it a couple of times, and I hadn't seen it in its entirety in quite some time. So, it was fun. But uh, what about you, Jesse? You you really wanted to do this movie, so... <laughs> yeah. So, tell me about it. When yeah. did you see this? So, I, just like you guys, I don't know that I can pinpoint the exact time. I know it was in high school, um, but it was definitely the first Stanley Kubrick movie I ever saw. And I really think it opened up the door to me really in, being interested in 2001 A Space Odyssey and A Clockwork Orange. Great films, which I really enjoyed. Um, but it, yeah, it was the, definitely the first Stanley Kubrick movie I saw. And just like you, Jeff, my dad had a big interest in Stephen King and Stephen King books. And I too saw that Stan miniseries as well. I didn't see the Shining miniseries. But I saw the Stan miniseries, and I still remember to this day, it was fantastic. Um, it was so and, cool. And at that age, at the age yeah. we were at when that came out, that thing was like exciting, terrifying, mm-hmm. fascinating. It, and I still remember I, I still remember seeing The Shining, The Stand, and several other Stephen King books in our bookshelf as a kid. My dad would read those things all the time. And that really stuck with me. And it kind of brought me back when I was re-watching this film again for this podcast. Uh, just kind of brought me back in time to our living room and seeing all those books and, and really piquing my interest in Stephen King at a very young age. That's cool. That's fun. That, that's, it's all, nostalgic's always good. And that's cool that you got that visual memory there. But, Jeff, I know you did some deep dive on how Stanley Kubrick got this movie and obviously we know that it's based on the Stephen King book and we obviously know there was 
you know, some difference of opinion there and, and when it was all said and done. But why don't you tell us some more about how this all came to be? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's a great segue, actually, talking. It's interesting, Jesse, that, like, uh, my dad had this super interest in Kubrick and yours the super interest in Stephen King. And this is really kind of this movie is actually kind of the marriage of the two of them. Not necessarily a happy marriage. I'll get into that in a second. Um, but so Stanley Kubrick, um, obviously this is post Clockwork Orange, post um, Doctor Strangelove, post uh, a lot of um, big Stanley Kubrick movies, Space Odyssey, and big yeah, name in Hollywood. one of his last films. I think he made Eyes Wide Shut after this, and maybe Full oh, that... Metal Jacket, and that was it. That is correct. That is correct, yeah. yeah. So... Um, he was working on making his dream project, actually, which was which was about a biop on Napoleon. And he was doing all the prep work, and he'd even cast Jack Nicholson as Napoleon. Uh, but his previous film, Barry Lyndon, was a complete commercial failure. And Kubrick, super famous for going over budget and over schedule. Uh and no studio would allow him to make Napoleon. And he was kind of devastated by that. And he realized in order to make, to get the amount of money to make Napoleon and make it the way that he wanted to make it, he needed a commercial hit. So he was thinking, tried to think of the most commercial genre he could think of. And at that time where this movie was made in 1980, so we're talking late 70s, this is the time of The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, the Omen. Uh, number Which he, of... he kind of wanted to do The Exorcist, right? But he missed out on that. But He did. He, he was kind of interested in, in it. I saw, and yeah. he actually he got a little bit of FOMO because he was like, that movie ends up being this incredible hit. Yeah, and for sure. And in his and mind, he's like, if I make a giant hit, they'll let me green... They will green light Napoleon for me. So... Um, meticulous in everything he does, Stanley Kubrick goes into the, uh, uh, the well of horror books and has his assistant order him over like something like over a hundred different horror books. And she tells this famous story of where she'd hear him reading. Then all of a sudden she'd hear a thud and it would be him throwing the book, whatever book he was in against the wall. I'm done with it. Like I'm, that one's done. Like, because of how terrible he thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I guess totally that went on too. for like three days. And he's like this, like not, he's not impressed with the genre until all of a sudden she'd given him, um, Stephen King's The Shining, which was a bestseller for a, um, up and coming horror author, the, uh, Stephen King. And, um, she noticed all of a sudden there was no thud. And a couple days later, she had hoped that he'd found one and he did, um, loved it. Took it to the studio. Uh, studio loved the idea of blockbuster um, horror, horror book being shot by Stanley Kubrick. That is something they could sell. So the um, Stephen King at that point had already sold his rights to The Shining. And instantly regrets doing it. Because he knows that Stanley Kubrick is kind of an auteur and uh, does things his way. And he was hoping to collaborate more. Nevertheless, it's in Stephen King's contract that he gets to write the first version of the screenplay. He gets to write a version of the screenplay. No okay. guarantees it'll ever be used. 
but that's in his contract. So because he sold the rights, that's why Kubrick was able to change everything that he changed. Correct. He'd already sold the rights. He had it in there that he got first crack at a screenplay, um, that he gets to write a version, you know, for the director. But the studio hires him. He says he's interested in this project. They have the rights. They're like, yes, Stanley Kubrick, this is the kind of movie we want you making, a crowd pleaser, not your weird Barry Lyndon shit or Napoleon, which you're going to spend all the studio's money. So um, did Kubrick read it? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. He didn't even, he never even picked up, picked it up and read a word from it. <laughs> so this thing starts rocky from the very beginning. It's the, uh, to wrap the story up, um, for years, Stephen King fights to get the rights back to this movie. Um, he pays a small fortune to buy the rights to this film back so that he can produce a miniseries, that said miniseries that was my first telling, taking to The Shining. Um, and he executive produces, he gets final cut, he does all these things. He was hoping to erase The Shining. Unfortunately for him, everybody remembers this movie. I'm not sure very many people remember the miniseries. So what worked, Jesse? Well, I'm going to let you start the start the party here. What works What works for you in this movie? Thanks for what worked for me. There was a lot that worked for me in this movie. Um, but overall, the cinematography of this movie, from the opening scene, the aerial view of the drive to the Overlook Hotel, uh, to the scene of Danny riding his big wheel down the hotel hallway is just such an iconic scene that's replayed a, a few times in the movie. The Steadicam uh, shot. Oh. Uh, yeah. And then he wasn't the first to use it, but he, he's the first one to he, he was the first one to make it like famous. It just I mean, I could I could watch that all day. Um, so the overview or aerial view of the overlook, the big wheel, and then finally the scene of Jack trying to chase down Danny in the hedge maze. I mean more steady cam action. <laughs> I, I love it. I'm just it's great. No, I, I just it, so. I, I watch in awe of, of Kubrick and his cinematography there. Well, and you saw, Mark, you, um, and Jesse, I'm sure you both, you both saw that the inventor of the Steadicam was actually the cinematographer on this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people thought that that's, that, that's where this sh that shot originated from, but it came to be a little bit before. But this movie is definitely the movie that made that shot famous, for sure. He knows, uh, he, the guy knew how much uh, Stanley Kubrick was a fan of the Steadicam, and he said throughout the filming, he kept trying to get him to shoot a little bit just because he thought it would... Kubrick would really love to, and Kubrick kept telling him, nope, that's what I pay you to do. <laughs> and, you know, I have in my notes, I want to play on that scene. I, I love the sound, and I love the the way the isolation, he plays with the sound and really makes us hear specific sounds. He really wanted us to hear those different floorings, just mm -hmm. to kind of feel that scene, and it's, I, I love it, too. It's such an awesome scene. It, it's, the, it's the best scene it, it it's one of the best scenes of like the first hour of the movie because the first hour of the movie it's there's it's really a slow burn. Agree. But um, Jeff, what worked for you? I'll I'll wrap it up. Yeah, I just have a couple notes here. I said the cinematography, the themes of family abuse and alcoholism, the score, the performances, um, and Kubrick is just a master of mise en scène, uh, which basically we've talked about a little bit before in this pod before, but basically just means everything that everything that you see in the frame and everything there is intentional um, and just super well done. But I just, I think this movie ultimately works because it's really a story about 
Uh, the best horror movies are about something else, not just the monster. Because the real horrors are the stuff that you deal with on the everyday. And this is just the story of a dysfunctional family. And I think it's done incredibly well. I, I think you're... Sorry to jump in. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. But I think your mention of the score, on I think the score is very underrated in this film. Oh, it's so good. Agreed. And the Agreed. more I, I watched it, I, the more I was impressed with the score of this film. Oh, the music's so good. It's... It, yeah. It's I haunting. It, yeah. Like, and you, yeah. it's, it's actually... It's one of those scores, too, that when... Like all the best ones, after you watch this movie, it's hard to get out of your head. Absolutely. Like it's just Completely. kind of like humming in the background there. Yep. If if Nick were on, he likes to he likes to sing scores. Um, he would he would he, <laughs> he would, would do that. He would hum this one. He he would definitely. <laughs> um, favorite scenes. Oh, well, no, hold uh, on, let's... real quick. With what works, oh, yeah. I gotta. Sorry, Mark. There's one thing that more importantly than anything else, Jack Nicholson is just so fucking good in this movie. He's so good as Jack Torrance that it's just a treat to watch as a film nerd. And as the course of the movie goes on, I just can't stop looking at his facial expressions and and, and how Kubrick shoots him. And it's it's just a treat. It's a, it's such a treat to watch. And without him, this movie is it never works for me. So, so I can't say enough about how great he is. And I, have a, I, have other... a Jack, I fucking love Jack Nicholson in this movie, and I fucking love Jack Nicholson and everything. I have a Jack Nicholson question for you, Mark. Yeah. Does he really act, or does he just play different versions <laughs> of Jack I know Nicholson? You, you, know, you never know, right? It, 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 I'm with you. I get I get what you're saying. It, obviously, he really acts, but I totally get what you're saying, and. He does because yeah. in some of his Chinatown, he definitely is a different, much much more under. But I I just always my favorite no, Jack Nichol my favorite. Like you Jack feel Nicholson like if you met Jack Nicholson, he might like have one of those crazy facial expressions. What? It's that what? smile, yeah, that Joker smile. Yeah, and the Joker smile is exactly what we know him for too. Because Jesse and I were talking off pod, like that's one of our first introductions to him. I mean, that movie came Those out when we were seven. Most people our old. generation, that's the first time you see him. Yeah, and then it might be, it might be, it's that or a few good men, right? Yeah, like right. are you are probably your introduction. And, and then, at that as point, good as it is... gets, you're, when you're a little bit older, and you're like, wow, he was really good in that. And then. You know, and then your parents are like, "Oh, you think he's good in that? You should go watch." You know, one flew over the cooker's one, Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, I totally hear you. But uh, and the 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 one other thing, just the theme of isolation. It, it's so good the way he the way Kubrick makes it work. It's it's such a it's almost nails on a chalkboard as just the the slow burn, like he, and especially on the rewatches because you just know what's building. It stresses you out. Oh yeah. For sure. And that's For sure. that's because the part it's... that I like the movie better than the book on is the book is much more like magical and like there's no hedge maze. Instead, it's like hedge animals. Um, and it's like one of those things where, thank God, this movie was made in the 70s because if they tried to make this movie today, I can just imagine the CGI fucking animals chasing Danny around and that just not nearly as good. There's not a single... The, there's only one special effect shot in this entire film. Um, not a single shot of green screen. The only special effect is the hedge maze when they do that shot from above when oh, Jack yeah. Nicholson's watching them in it. Yeah. The rest of it, they completely constructed and acted out. There's not a single green screen in this movie. And I thought that was pretty fucking cool. For the yeah. world that we, 
I believe they it. don't make movies like that anymore. Nowadays, well, everything's well, on they green don't need screen. To. I mean, if if Kubrick was making movies today, he'd be using green screen though, because it's fucking For easier. Sure. <laughs> like more cost efficient. Yeah, so. yeah, and cost efficient. Although, right? although the cost producers would be like been, you're, you're Although using, cost oh. efficient's never been a Kubrick, uh, <laughs> a Kubrick true. concern either. <laughs> I could. That's true. Um, uh, just to play devil's advocate there. Favorite, favorite scene, Jeff. Favorite scenes. Jesse, what's your favorite scene? It's your movie. So, there's a lot of quotes in this favorite scene. I'm just going to warn you guys. But my favorite scene is when Danny goes up to the hotel room to retrieve his fire engine. Okay. Jack's just sitting there awake. And he finds his dad just kind of staring aimlessly aimlessly in in the bed. And the dialogue between a father and son, I, I thought about this a lot. Um, of all the movies I've seen, and I can't think of another movie that has dialogue so intense between a father and his son. And so he, he goes up there and sees his dad. At that <clears throat> age, too. Oh, yeah, he's five years old. But, yeah. And so Danny, just he just so desperately wants to tell his dad that he's terrified of this hotel and he wants to leave. And he knows exactly what, what's about to happen because of Tony. And so his dad asks him to come over and he sits down on the bed and his dad's hugging him and he just simply asks him, dad, do you like this hotel? And Jack says with a big grin, he says, yes, I do. I love it. Don't you? And Danny begrudgingly replies, I guess so. And it continues and he says, and Jack says, good. I'm glad you like it here. I wish we could stay here forever. (laughs) And Danny asks his father, says, Daddy, would you ever hurt Mommy or me? And Jack responds, annoyed, simply saying, what do you mean? And that scene is just, it's filled with terror and fear of of a five-year-old boy. And, and, I mean, that... Well, especially because he's had these premonitions. And now, someone has confirmed his premonitions to him and tried to tell him that, like, hey, hey, I have this stuff, too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, do you think, um, I, I always read that scene too, as in like Jack, uh, Jack Torrance kind of knows what Danny knows and he kind of knows he is going to hurt him as well. That, because, that's uh, a good uh, point on, and I, I want to bring up a question a little later on to that point, but go ahead. Well, um, your question, it might be, were you going to ask, does Jack also shine? Is, I, is, that, is, exactly. that, is that your question? Million that, dollar question. A lot of people think that. I always have. Because of that line he says in the beginning when it's like, it's like the hotel was telling me to come here. Or I can't, he says something to that nature. I can't remember mm-hmm, exactly what he says. Mm-hmm, right. But I just don't think he knows how to control it as well as Danny does. And I really take that scene between the two of them as they both kind of know what's about to happen. And Jack's basically in denial about it. And uh, Danny's basically hoping that terrified and hoping that what he knows is going to happen isn't true and i think to be honest i think jack's hoping the same thing and i so wait do you guys think jack uh has has a shine shine? i do you do what about you i'm on the fence i don't think he does and i only only (laughs) that's so funny we all have a different the only reason i say no and right away is just because i think because of the scene with delbert grady i think that dismisses any idea of jack having the shine um, and I and, and and if Jack had Why? the shine, I, I don't think he gets hit by the bat and in a lot of other things potentially. So I think it's, 
I think it opens up a bunch of other well, what I think, ifs I think it's a power to, that to works give Jack has the shine. That's right. all. So I don't like... Well, and I'm kind of cheating here, too, because I've seen Dr. Sleep. Um, I've seen Dr. Sleep as well. But it, it doesn't say if he has the shine or not. But, right. like, in Dr. Sleep, people that have, like, the shine, it manifests differently in different people. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think with Jack, it might not manifest as a boy named Tony that tells him what's going to happen. Right. But it doesn't mean... He literally has a dream where he tries to kill him his family which is what happens and it's mm-hmm. similar to the same kind of dream that um that danny has so i really think he has it but there are a lot of people right. out there that don't um yeah it's, well i like that and we're i think we're all, leaves we're it all mixed that's a, that's a good thing because it is left open there's so much that's left open right intentionally left it open intentionally so mark what's your what's your favorite scene um i have a couple but so if I'm going, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal a couple, but I, I mean obviously the. Classic, I give you one, then I'm gonna go with one. If it, only mean, if you steal, only if you steal one of my two. If so, not, I'll give you. I mean, obviously there's the classic scene with him and the axe, but that's not the scene that I want to talk about. I fear we get to that at some point. But <clears throat> so if that's your scene, I'll let you have your moment. But I love. I love the scene where Halloran, where Mr. Halloran shows, explains The Shining to Danny. And you know how much we talk about exposition. I was talking to Jesse about this and how in most movies it's not needed. But in this movie, it's very much needed. <laughs> and so, and, but I just love how the scene unfolds. And, it, and you see these layers, these different layers within that scene, which plays to like Kubrick and how, you know, you know, he probably shot the scene a hundred times, you know, 200 times. Who knows? So, it, it's just, it's a really cool moment. I, I love that moment in the movie because Danny's kind of terrified to some degree of Tony. Like, he feels like Tony has control over him. And you get this, you know, Dick Halloran, who's just like a friendly, like, kitchen guy, like, chef who's giving him ice cream, who explains to him, oh, no, this is, this is a special gift you have. And puts a whole other spin on it. And it's just a really good moment. Now, the other scene I want to talk about is I, the hot chick to nasty old dead chick. Like, that's <laughs> that's awesome horror scene. Like, like you know, Stanley Kubrick's like, you want you okay? There's my horror film. I'm going to give you a scary scene. Like, that's that's awesome. That It's so good. It, it, like, it's the horror genre just done right. Like, boom. Like, pfft. Home run. So and then the turn. I wanted... it's shot so awesome too, and it yeah, starts to yeah. realize. Oh yeah, yeah, and oh my god, that like. Oh yeah, I just wanted to give credit to that scene, so I'm, I'm glad I, I had to write it down. That scene is just embedded in your memory. Oh yeah, like the first it time is. you see that movie, you will never forget that scene. Well, and it's like gross. No, I think you do being... kind of forget it, but then when it starts to happen, you're just like, oh my god, how could it's I? Forget gross, this? but in like a cool. That's how it was for me. In a cool, ungory way. Like, it's not gross in, like, a stupid Saw movie way where it's just, like, gratuitous violence. It's gross in, like, a take you back to being a kid in the way, like, slime is gross. that was going to happen. Right. Right. It's it's so cool. All right. I I got two myself. Um, And and you didn't use either one of them. I love that we all have different favorite scenes. To me, the best scene in this movie and maybe one of the best scenes, one of the top 15 scenes in all of cinema is Jack, when Jack is uh, first kind of chasing Wendy up the stairs, not chasing her with the axe when she has the baseball bat, 
and they have a very real struggling couple argument. And what's so cool, I'll go ahead and since there's a lot of quotes, I'll go ahead and read. I'll go ahead and read his quote. Um, and he says, have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me? And I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility. Do you have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is? Do you? Has it ever occurred to you what would happen to my future if I were to fail to live up to my responsibilities? And none of that is about whore. None of that is about ghosts. That is, that is some, somebody that is resentful of their wife or having tr or basically blaming their own personal failings on their marriage. That's something that anybody could have said. And just like I said at the top of this pod, the best whore finds the whore in the ordinary. And in a lot of ways, this is a film about a guy who kind of blames his wife and kid for his own shortcomings. And I just think it's just brilliantly done in that scene. And great, again, talk about just being shot. The way that scene is shot with them walking up the stairs uh, has to be super, super difficult. Anyway, and my other... My other scene I had, and I'll do it, I'll get to it real quickly, was the first one with, uh, actually I like any of them, but Jack and Lloyd the bartender. Oh, Jack and Lloyd at the bar are great. They're some um, of the best scenes in the movie. Fucking Absolutely. love. And um, I really, I, he sits down in that first scene and basically says I would sell my soul for a pint of beer right now. And if you notice, that's the first time he starts seeing ghosts. So that's kind of his contract he just made with the hotel is how I interpret that. Because um, then all of a sudden a drink is made available to him. Um, very fasty and, and all of that. Uh, all right. Yeah. Moving along. Um, well, no, we're not done yet. <laughs> we're just, all right. I mean, the scene in the bathroom, it's one of the most important oh, scenes in the movie. It's, it, the movie's so long. Oh, yeah, and that scene is like... But it's probably the but, most rewatchable but, scene in this but movie. All the, the, but all the scenes, if you like break them down, they're very critical to the movie. They're mm -hmm. very important for the story and, and everything that's building. That so, completely changes Jack's... Oh, for sure. The, the bathroom scene is just nuts. Yeah. It, it, if you miss the bathroom scene, you miss the movie to, to some degree. Sure. And then you, like, you really have no clue why things are now transpiring the way they're transpiring. Right. It's 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 a very important scene of the movie. And just, what's your favorite quote? What's your favorite quote, Jeff? Jesse wrote us about 14 quotes from his favorite scene, so <laughs> we'll get to him in a minute. So I'll let you pick well, your favorite one first, Jeff. I have a number. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I'm just going to go to the first one I'm pulling up here. And I have... <gasps> I, I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. 
I'm the kind of man likes to know who's buying their drinks, Lloyd. The I think the my favorite quote going back to that staircase though is I mean the Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains in. I'm gonna bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> I love all those quotes, and they are some of my favorites. But I go back to the classics. Um, women can't live with them. Can't live without them. I mean, perfect quote. It, this is not a quote, but it's written in, on his in his story. All work. No play makes Jack a dull boy. And then the most classic quote, which has been imitated countless number of times. Oh, yeah. Here's Johnny. And, and there's, you know, there's millions of people that know that scene and know that quote and have never no seen idea. It. Don't know no what the reference is? I'm actually going to say that. Yeah. And actually, Stu Stanley Kubrick that. didn't know because he grew up in the UK. He didn't know who Johnny Carson was. Most so, of those, most of those Jack Nicholson like I'll huff and I'll puff and all of that stuff was actually ad libbed, and, and Stanley so Kubrick actually loved actors. He very much encouraged actors to ad lib because um, he does famously so much coverage anyway um, that that was always encouraged. And a lot of those great, a lot of those great Jack lines were definitely ad libbed. I, I got to do one more at the bar, Mark. I'm sorry. Which one is it? Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm it has caused me. I fucking like what a brutal line. What a brutal line to like a fucking alcoholic that watched this movie. Like right. I mean Jesus. Like there's alcoholics that watched this movie and like had no intention of this movie ever affecting them and just like what a brutal gut punch that must be. Well, that that was probably written. (laughs) That was probably written by that one. Actually, might have been written by Stephen King too, because. Literally wrote this while he was quit because he doesn't drink at all anymore. Yeah. And he was struggling quitting drinking when he wrote this movie, but or this book. Um, no, I had a white man's burden, Lloyd. Oh, my yeah. man, white man's <laughs> burden. Good man, you set him up. I'll knock, knock him back him one by one. <laughs> so I was telling Jesse how one of my favorite is when he walks into the gold room that's that's where he's walking down the hall how angry he is because Wendy thinks he hurt Danny again yep. and he's just like he's just so just oh you can just feel the anger coming out of him and it's just so good you know that's what it, the, that's the, why the, it's the, the lean in, to your the point lean into the Lloyd stuff to your point it's such a great scene because that is the struggle that countless alcoholics have had like I mean it's literally Something shitty happened at home or the office or wherever. And I want, like, now all I want is a drink. Uh, now he thinks he's going safely to a bar that has no alcohol. For sure. And then, then he offers to sell his soul and it magically appears. But still, um, terrifying scene regardless. Yeah. Anything not work for you boys? Yeah. Um... Go. Go. So I have here in my notes, the slow burn is a little too slow for the couch on a Friday night. Uh, 
And what it's I mean by that is... It's also a 1970s audience. You guys. I mean, I was like, you could probably shorten this down a little, but I love everything on screen, so I don't really know what you can cut. Oh, I know where you can now, shorten it down. I have it written but, down in my notes, but go so ahead, keep on. going. So, but no, but then I put this note. Like, I imagine kids today, they're from the digital era, right? They're going to have a hard time watching this movie. Then on top of it, it's a movie that commands your attention, and everyone likes to be on their phones nowadays. So then the other thing that I hate, I hate how smart Danny is. Because he's only five, and that's just the teacher in me. Yeah. And, and like the the, I can't oh, I mean, just. He is, I can't just. He is like he I is like the perfect. The he learned it on the television line. He is like the, the perfect the child. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's. Just, I mean, a little too. He I never with, throws. He never throws a temper tantrum. Yeah, I've he dealt with too many five-year-olds. Right. Like, I've he, never met a Danny. <laughs> no, I. I mean, he is a golden child. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. Kubrick but, actually uh, famously, did you see that uh, he had no idea what this movie was about? Yeah, like he didn't the, even the see it until he was an adult, or like a late teen. Like, yeah, uh, Kubrick yeah, famously the scene protects... where she's she's running with him, and they used a dummy. Yeah, yeah. he famous. He was famously very protective of um, yeah. Danny, and oh, I yeah. guess he's I guess he's protective of any children he's ever had on set. I believe it. Um, and he like. Uh, even his own children, he was the reason he moved from Hollywood to LA was he was sure that America was going to get nuked, or from Hollywood to London, uh, he was sure America was going to get nuked. But like, he he, I, I guess he was always like a nervous father, like driving with his kids or whatever. He's like always just been super protective of Danny. Yeah. Which and then when you read, that, I could see this it... movie being attractive to him for that reason because it's really a movie about protecting an innocent child. And just like the red rum stuff, the red rum and the way he said it, just his voice tone. I'm just. Red rum. Red rum. Red rum. Red rum. Red rum. I like. And some of it just some of like a lot of the Danny stuff just comes off as super creepy, and it's just hard for me. But I don't think to it believe. comes off creepy to adults. I don't think. What about the twins? Yeah. To a kid. Well, but he doesn't. Did I mean they're probably just? Kids they have now. to be in the same. They were, but I mean they're terrifying to us. But they're probably just yeah. too. When you're a kid, you see other kids. You're just like, yeah, I want to go play. Yeah, but then like he, you know, he tells him, you know, you're gonna go around the corner on the big wheel, and then you're just gonna look up and see these two, and you're just gonna freeze and just ah, and, you know, and like the, you know, the cover your eyes stuff. So. It's just, it's fascinating, because like you said, he was super protective, so I'm not questioning that he wasn't. My point is, how incredible, like, the guy is so crazy, Kubrick's so crazy that he developed he made some it work. fantasy story to make it all work, to where this yeah. kid had no idea that he was screaming the word murder, and holding a knife, like, how do you sell that? And the, yeah, like, just, it's just nuts to, to know that that's what happened, that's all. Impressive. Agreed. So, anything else not work? Anything yes. not work for you? I have Jesse? a big thing. Oh, wait, hold go, on. Go ahead, Hans. Go ahead. What's your big thing? I have a big thing, but it's it's annoying. <laughs> the scene the scene where he orders the snowcat on the phone, that scene is weirdly long and would never be shot today. He's on the phone for like 25 minutes with that guy. <laughs> you, practically, you practically see the guy look up the snowcat, pull the model number out. Like, that could have been... And we get the whole spiel to Lloyd, like why he needs to get up there that night and everything. Right? 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I really don't think we need a unnecessary it's a good point. scene. It is. It's not. It's not that it doesn't work. It's just. A, it's, it's a fun, easy thing to. Oh, you, you were just saying the movie. Something you need you me were to saying cut the movie's too long, Mark. Yeah, I'll give I just you five cut minutes back. Right, five here. minutes off of it. <laughs> you did. You did. You did. Jesse, anything not work for you? Along those same lines, if I had had to be nitpicky, it would be just setting the stage for the Torrances taking over, managing um, the hotel. I. It just. It was about an hour in before. They were there and settled. Um, so you, you could have cut off some time there. I, the, building up the story is important, don't get me wrong, but the amount of time it took, is, and, and we talked about a lot, translating it to, to 2022, it just it wouldn't work now. And I think you could cut some scenes off of, of, of just the build up um, if I had to choose anything. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean... That first hour is, it's long. It's a long first hour of a movie. Career, cor- career Corner. Um, we're running a little short on time, so I'm just going to be real quick. Instead of, I could go into all kinds of detail about Kubrick, but instead of that, um, why don't we just talk a little bit of Kubrick and... Um, Let's just go real quick. What is... What's your favorite Kubrick movie? <laughs> is this your favorite Kubrick movie, Jeff? I was going to ask you what your favorite thing about Kubrick is, but okay. Oh, my um, favorite thing? I mean, I think everybody's favorite thing is just how obnoxious he is to detail. I think everybody can appreciate it when they watch any of his movies. I was going to say attention to detail. Yeah, exactly. I think um, this is my favorite. Oh, it's I... by far my favorite. But I, I haven't seen some of his movies. And I, and I haven't. I, and the first, also time I saw the, the first time I saw The Shining, I didn't even love it. So, which tells me... He he likes some of our other directors that we've talked about, like uh, Nick's favorite, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Their movies just command multiple watches sometimes. And... Well, and I'm glad you said that because that's what I was going to say. Is one like some of the best filmmakers and the best movies are better on multiple watches. And Steven Spielberg, huge Kubrick fan, and one of the people that Kubrick showed this movie to prior to it being released. Um, since that first showing when he really didn't like it and didn't think it was one of Kubrick's better works, he has seen this movie over 40 times and absolutely loves it. And it's a movie that gets better every time you watch it. And that's coming from a true master. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, you know, he gives a big nod to this movie in Jurassic Park. I didn't know that. If Elaborate. You love Jurassic Park. We oh, all love Jurassic love Park, Jurassic. right? Yeah. So let's think about the scene where she hides from the raptors in the kitchen. Where do you think he got that idea? With Danny. Ah, Hiding into that. In the cabinet and leaving that open. Oh my God. I know, right? I know. That's crazy. For sure. I never thought of that before. I I knew that that, like, and I didn't catch it until we, uh, because that's why we do what we do. And I never thought of it or caught it until rewatching this movie. But I said, holy shit. That's, that's totally. where he got the raptor scene from Jurassic Park. The raptor's in the kitchen. I go, he stole this from The Shining. Holy Look shit. Look at that. Because I knew Spielberg loved Kubrick, too. I knew that connection. So, uh, you know, so many people love Kubrick. Which and... I've always thought was so cool because they're such different. I mean, they're really very oh, yeah. different filmmakers. For sure. But I totally. think it's that respect is awesome. For sure. For sure. Uh Favorite, this is my favorite Kubrick movie, but I, I, I haven't seen a couple of his movies and... 
I, I'm just going to leave it at that, just because, you know, I know we got other categories we want to get to. Jesse, is this your favorite Kubrick movie? It, it probably is. Uh, a Clockwork Orange and 2001 A Space Odyssey will always have a special place in my heart, just because when I was in high school transitioning to college is when I would have conversations with my brother about movies, about great movies, yeah. and it really kind of introduced me to just the classics and so when I watch those they just they have that special place yep um, but the the shining is absolutely up there it probably is my my favorite Kubrick movie but those two will always have a special place in my heart we'll talk Jack another day let's go to medals I think we'll talk about him right here most likely uh, I have an honorable mention to Danny Lloyd our little five-year-old uh, he did a great job he's great he really is. But I really did give... I gave my bronze medal to Scatman Crothers. One Dick Halloran. I, I love that scene in the beginning of the movie where he explains The Shining to Danny. So, I, And I love that he he tries to save the day. Poor bastard gets an axe in the heart. But uh, Kubrick got my silver medal. He'd probably get my gold, but because of the Stephen King stuff, I kind of I, I downgraded him. And I did give the gold to Nicholson just because... I really, no matter what, even if Stanley Kubrick didn't have Jack Nicholson, I don't think this movie is, I don't think we're talking about this movie the way we're talking about it. So, um, I think they're a package deal, but n not so much that I can't exclusively give the gold to someone and that gold goes to Jack. So, what about you, Jesse? Where are you at with your medals? <laughs> so, I'm going to give the honorable mention to Scatman. All right. And scat. an honorable mention to Stephen King. I wish I could have fit him in the middle podium, but um, it, this is about the movie, so he's an honorable mention. My bronze is going to go to Danny, Danny Lloyd. Uh, he was just, as a five-year-old, acting in that movie, you couldn't ask for anything more. Uh, my silver is going to go to Shelley Duvall, and the interesting thing with that is when I first rewatched the movie, because it had been so long, I rewatched it, and I said... She's out of her league with Jack Nicholson and even Danny Lloyd. I thought she, she was the outcast of the three that she was terrible. And then as I rewatched it, I gained an appreciation. And then I read a backstory about her and Kubrick and just the torment that he had on her and what she went through and just the incredible job. Uh, Jesse's giving her a medal because she had clumps of hair coming out because of I mean, how many takes Kubrick made She deserves made her at do. least a silver silver medal, he, right? It was oh my, <laughs> there's some there's some tough stuff in some documentaries about yeah, it. He was it, nasty to her. It was it was rough. He and he did it intentionally. They shot yeah, this movie. Yeah. They shot this movie sequentially, and mm -hmm. I really believe he was trying to make her. Oh, and here's another a hot thing. mess by the end of it. Jesse and I were talking. Uh, Kubrick's not even making movies if he's still alive because he's canceled. Oh yeah, it, he would have been canceled in the nineties. <laughs> oh, that was one of my that was one of my midnight ponderings. <laughs> uh, literally, was going to say, would Stanley Kubrick be canceled today for his treatment of Shelley oh, Duvall? Yeah. Long time ago. Oh yeah, long for sure. time ago, for sure. <laughs> so that was silver for Shelley, and then my gold. I I tried to pick just one, and I tried to I adjusted my list, but I can't. Jack Nicholson and Stanley Kubrick, they both deserve gold. For, I was going to say, this. once you... I <laughs> I figured this was coming. I, can, I can't. That's I, fine. I get Jack it. Nicholson's performance is incredible. 
facial expressions, act, I mean, everything is just incredible. And Stanley Kubrick, the cinematography, just his passion for films and what he did for this film, I can't give him anything other than gold. Jeffrey, medal time. Yeah, um, everybody did honorable mentions, so why don't I as well? Mine goes to, uh, um, I'll give that to Ty, to, to the kid and to Shelley Duvall. Um, Shelley Duvall is fantastic in this movie, um, and I'd like to put her on my metal stand. This was just a really tough metal stand. You think she's fantastic, too. You, how about her getting a Razzie for this? What was that all about? How about Kubrick getting a Razzie? This movie was just before. Well, They weren't ready for this movie. It's one of those, and it always cracks me up. So, like, Roger Ebert's first review of this film, like, trashed it. And, like, he did a re-review, like, ten years later and said it was one of, like, the 50 greatest films ever made or something. And I, I always think that's funny when a critic's, like, realizes they're wrong and they go back and they're like, oh, by the way, I, I just... But we just talked about Spielberg not liking it the first time he saw it either, so it's probably one that does grow on you over time. Um... My bronze goes to Stephen King. This is his story at the end of the day. Um, I like that. Good, what, good move. He, he uh, this is the horror movie that Kubrick picked out of all of those that he couldn't decide uh, that he that he this, that that was just garbage. It was this story he chose to make, and it's his story, and it couldn't have been told without him. Um, I think I probably would have given him the gold if uh, it had been more of a collaborative process, which isn't necessarily his fault. Um, but he also didn't start the thing off on a good foot either. So uh, egos, egos kind of hurt him there. Um, Silver goes to Jack Nicholson. Um, he's fucking incredible in this movie. I do think he's, I don't know if it's an all-time great Jack acting job, but it's an all-time great jack performance when he at the end of it when he turns it up to 11 and he's just jack doing jack things he is unbelievable you can't take your eyes off him and he's the reason that you can rewatch this movie anytime um gold goes to kubrick this movie belongs to him uh he wanted to punish him for not collaborating more with stephen king but i just couldn't his attention to detail everything on the screen he made a great story even better somehow. Uh, and the horror genre gets a lot of bad... It's my favorite genre. And it gets a lot of bad press because horror, in my opinion, I always say this, is the hardest genre to make. And it's the easiest genre to make poorly. But when it's done well, it holds up against any other genre. Uh, it's just done well so rarely. And yeah, I agree. I, I mean, this is a top ten horror, horror movie. Kubrick, Kubrick nails it, and I have to. Uh, they, they're making fucking documentaries about all the different things this movie could mean that we definitely don't have time to talk about. So no, we it goes don't. to him. Hey Jeff, it's that time. It's past that time. You got any ponderings? That time. We've already done some of them. I've got some good ones. Does having The Shining help you heal? Help you heal faster from bruises? Or do ghost bruises just heal faster than regular bruises? Because those bruises disappeared awful damn quick from Danny's neck. <laughs> I know it was weird, and like the, the like his whole shirt was all torn and stuff. That um, <laughs> was interesting. Attention but, to detail, Mr. Kubrick. Um, that's true. Would, that's a great point. Is there? Okay, I got a pondering. That do we have a 
deleted scene somewhere of Shelley Duvall going into room, the, the, going into room 237 and something happening there. Because, you know, something happened to Danny when he went in there and something happened to Jack when he went in there. But they could. Or is it because the they shining. both they have, have the shining? Is it they because have the is that way? Is, the so maybe you're okay. You're selling me on Jack having there the shining with this now. I love it. Well, I how I was I woke up in the middle of the night the other night and said, "How the hell did they clear the snow in the hedge maze during such a big storm? Who's clearing all the snow in the hedge maze for Stanley Kubrick being such a perfectionist? That snow sure got cleared up. Wouldn't those lights be covered up by a shit ton of snow? Damn it." <laughs> Is or, is that part of, or is that it's part true. of their duties? Every day they got to go clear the hedge maze. It's snow. true. The snow went all the way up to the window so he could like slide down it. But, but the in the hedge maze, maze it magically, fun. magically he, that, that's it, fantastic. Well, I mean, I just feel like it's like Kubrick, for being such a detail-oriented person, he really have, was like I okay with letting that one slip. I have the answer for you. What? The ghost did it for Danny. I mean, that could have happened. I mean, that's <laughs> I an easy dismiss. Like, I, it's an easy, like, I have to accept it because at the end of the day, this is Kubrick's ghost story. It's when true. You go, when you do have a ghost movie, you get you get, you get a lot of outs, don't you? You do. Yeah, I mean, fair <laughs> One thing I didn't bring up in the beginning, I'll be brief on this or whatever. I love the concept of time in this movie. Um, Kubrick plays a lot with oh, time. okay. How we see one month later, and then, now, then we start seeing... It like, starts with a month, then a week, yeah. then a day, then an hour. Yeah. Uh, but and it pays off in the end with the photo saying back in 1921, and you're like, "What the fuck is happening?" Right. Um. Um. I love um, multiverse metaphysical stuff or what have you, and it. I actually thought that was brilliant. That's something I never thought of before. Yeah. But if time is relative, when you pass to the spirit realm, you probably can hunt the past, the future, and the present. Because you're probably not bound by the same laws of time as your physical being. I thought that was brilliant. That's all I got. I know we've done a lot of random notes. Anybody have one that stood out to them that they just... I have a big one that I just... I have to pitch to you because you guys both were talking about... And I know you hate it when I do this, but you guys were both talking about imagining anybody else being um, playing Jack Torrance. Yeah. Um, He heavily considered Robert De Niro. Yeah. Okay. I could totally see Robert De Niro. There's three people he considered. The other two I don't like. The other two were were Harrison Ford and Robin Williams. I can't see either one of them. But I can totally see Robert De Niro. But I think you can only see Robert De Niro because you've seen Cape Fear. Correct. So, like, that's why you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I could see him doing that. But, but I don't... At the time, you hadn't, but that... So, what I'm trying to say is, if Robert De Niro's in this movie, that becomes his Cape Fear performance. I mean, honestly, because he's a great actor, I could see uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie. He's a great actor. And and I think he can pull it off. But... What Jack Everybody's going to have was, a different version. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what Jack Jack Nicholson did was incredible, like Absolutely. hands down. A hundred. Oh no, he nails it. And it's and hard to see anyone else in this film. More often of what than the not, did. more often than not, his perform. And you have the right answer there, Jesse, because I agree. More often than not, his performance is always going to be better. We don't know. De Niro might not have been as good, or he might have been better. You will never know, but I could see it. I couldn't. I really can't see Harrison Ford, and I love Harrison Ford. Um, probably Stephen King would like it better because it would be more mellow, I guess. 
Um, but it's the wrong choice. Robin Williams, I think, would be... I think he would take go too far with it. I don't like Robin Williams either. Those were the other three that were heavily mm. considered by Kubrick. I think if the script was written differently for Jack Nicholson and he was more mellow in the script, I think he would have done just fine with that. But I think the script that Kubrick wrote was... For Jack. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I, I, he na- no, I... He nailed it, and I have no complaints with I have no complaints with uh, Nicholson. But I just that was, I just thought that was a fascinating note, and I was like, damn, I actually could see De Niro. Right. Um, but you're right, Mark. It's because of Cape Fear. Yeah. Um, anything? Uh, anything else? Big notes that we missed? So just kind of one note, one interesting note that I that I read was the way that they prepared and helped Jack Nicholson get so agitated and irritated and angry for for the role was they gave him cheese and yep. white bread sandwiches and not he actually cheese, oh no just, just cheese and white cheese bread and white bread and which he hated and but he requested it but he did request right. it because he's like he wanted to get into character so he um now one of the reasons this movie his performance is so great is i kind of think jack nicholson's fucking nuts <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and this movie just really captures that pretty well. You guys know the name uh, Lee Lee Unfrich? Does that no. name sound familiar to either of you? Not to me. So he's one of the heads at Pixar, and he's absolutely in love with The Shining mm. and obsessed with The Shining to where he like has memorabilia from the movie, and he uh, puts nods into uh, there's there's like 11 references in Pixar movies to The wow. Shining out there. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is the, the reference. Uh, Toy Story has the same carpet as the Overlook Hotel. And, oh, shit. I didn't uh, And then one of the... Uh, Toy Story 3, they have a lot of the references to the to Room 237. But, uh, yeah, the guy's just obsessed with The Shining. Hmm. So The Shining has its fan base out there. That being said, let's wrap it up, boys. Final thoughts, uh, did, Jeff. Let's give you. Let's hear your final thoughts. Um, this is a fantastic movie. It really is. We could keep uh, talking, obviously, but we gotta wrap it up. So, <laughs> I I'm working on it. Um, no, not thought. you. I'm just saying yeah, in general, yeah. we could talk for a couple more hours. Oh yeah, no, fantastic movie. Um, film is a collaborative art form. And um, just to kind of reference my story I told in the beginning, um, this movie doesn't work without both Stephen King's vision and Stanley Kubrick's vision and somebody like Jack Nicholson to bring it to life. Um, And that's why film is my favorite genre, because you really need all of those different components. My film is my favorite art form. You need all of those different components to deliver on. I love it. Jesse, final thoughts? Yeah, so rewatching this movie, before I rewatched this movie, I thought this was like one of the scariest movies I'd ever seen. And then after rewatching it, I was like, you know what? It's, it's actually not that scary. It's just really more of a thriller than anything. Um, and, and so as I went through, I mean, I just appreciated the iconic moments from this film you have, which I, Crazy enough, I don't think we mentioned once during the pod was the blood river down the elevator. Oh, no, we didn't. We screwed that up, too. Yeah, I guess we should mention uh, the... Uh, you know how he got away with putting that in the preview? 
No, and I don't. The MPA didn't want that, but he he told him it was rusty water. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That is. So he awesome. only did that one. He only, I guess it was a real pain in the ass to shoot. Yeah. And he only did that one on two takes, which probably oh. killed about killed Kubrick to have it. It took him a, it took him a year to plan that visual effects. To, to plan that shot. Which yeah. that, that scene, it, it's one of the most iconic scenes it in is. movie history. And then the, the scene of Danny riding his big wheel. I don't know. The Blood River down the, the elevator is probably more iconic. But that scene of Danny riding down the hallway is, is just memorable. You'll never forget it. Um, that, it's shot so well. Yeah. And, and then you have quotes uh, from Jack Nicholson of here's Johnny. I mean, there's just moments of that movie that you'll never forget. And I really do think it's timeless. I, I, I believe, and maybe it, it's because I'm older, but um, I think this movie, you could watch it today and, and enjoy it just as much as they watched, they did when they went in 1980. As long as they stay off their phones. Give it a chance. <laughs> and not to not go to the bathroom. Exactly. Um, so overall, bored by the opening credits, yeah, well, in the first hour of the, of the movie, I, I agree. For current times, it, it is too long. I completely agree. But overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm very happy and glad that Mark suggested it. Um, and I, I love this movie and Kubrick and, and Jack Nicholson. So, this was a really fun rewatch because I hadn't seen it in quite some time and I hadn't gotten to obviously analyze it the way we did for, for this. So it was just really fun to do. It was really fun to do a deep dive and see how much internet lore there is on this movie. I mean, if we could do a Shining Part 2, a Shining Part 3 on the podcast. It's that out of control with how much content there is. But hopefully we did it justice. Hopefully we... We didn't bore anyone to death, and we, we, we stayed tight within our format, and uh, go watch The Shining again. But uh, thanks again for, for listening to another edition of Movie Tales. On behalf of Jesse, Jeff, and myself, we appreciate you guys listening. Take care.